Are you ready for the word? All right. Well, our series continues living by faith. How to live by faith. Trying to make this practical. Our, our hope is that you are not just hearing a sermon and then forgetting about it and don't spend enough time with the sermon to understand it and let it change the way you think and the way you live. Uh, Jesus gave his parable of the sower that sowed the seed. And there were four different types of hearers. Only one group of those people really uh, benefited from the word. And it was those who heard it and heard it until they understood it. They didn't stop listening. didn't stop paying attention until they understood it. Because the word cannot work in your life until you understand it. And then once they understood it, they were then able to do it, apply it. Jesus said, you're not blessed because you hear the word. You're blessed because you do the word. So it's important that when he... Um, gives us a word, and by the way, he does give us word. That's the way he designed the system to operate. He put pastors and teachers in place. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and he does teach his people uh, via those that he has chosen to do so. So when we are ministering, don't just see it as another sermon by Bishop. I hope you understand that God, by his grace, chooses, chooses people like myself and uses us to teach his word. Okay, now you're supposed to get hold of it, spend enough time with it to understand it, and then to apply it. And that's where you start to walk in the blessings of that word. So we've been teaching now on living by faith. I think this might be the fourth or fifth message in the series. And I guarantee you, there's so much that you heard that you've already forgotten. And if you will go back and take the series and begin to hear it again, it will bless you this time even more than it blessed you the first time. And what you would get is understanding, and then with that understanding, application, all right? So today, we're building on what we've already been teaching, and we're going to take you to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to begin at verse 1, Philippians 3, verse 1. And I, I want to talk to you from this text about losing your religion and finding your joy, amen? Losing your religion and finding your joy. You see, if you're going to live by faith, you're going to have to lose religion. You're going to have to lose your religion if you're going to live by faith. Amen? And if you're going to find joy, you're going to have to lose your religion. Okay? Because religion robs your faith and robs your joy. And when I speak of religion, uh, by now you should know that Jesus Christ is not a religion, right? When we speak of Jesus, we're speaking of a relationship with a person. Amen? Religion has to do with all the things that you need to do, all the rules you need to keep in order to meet up with the standard that that you believe God has established, you're going to have to lose your religion to find your joy. You're going to have, you, you have to lose religion to live by faith. You can't you can practice religion and live by faith in Christ. Are you hearing me? And we're going to talk about that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now, this is Paul, and he's addressing the Philippians. The Philippians were Gentile Christians. And Paul is saying to them, you need to rejoice. Now, where was Paul when he was writing this? Paul was in a Roman prison. Paul was probably handcuffed in a dungeon. Can you imagine being in that circumstance, that situation, locked up in prison, chains on your legs, and, 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 and you are able to rejoice? 
He wasn't murmuring, grumbling, or complaining about the fact that he was in prison. The man was in those circumstances, and he was rejoicing. Wow. You see, it takes faith to do that. It's only one who's living by faith that can rejoice under those circumstances. And now he was writing to the Philippians who we know many of them are very poor and they too were beginning to face persecution hardships. And he's saying to them, rejoice. And he doesn't say it once. He says it over and over. When you read the book of Philippians, that's the theme, joy, rejoice, rejoicing. By the time you get to Philippians chapter 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He keeps repeating this thing, rejoice, rejoice. Continue to rejoice. Continue to rejoice. No matter what your circumstances in, uh, uh, you're in, continue to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Wow. There, there must be something about this rejoicing that is so critical to the Christian life, to the, to the life of faith that God has called us to live by. This ability to rejoice in spite of our circumstances. Hallelujah. But notice... That Paul said to them, rejoice in the Lord. Amen? He says, listen, I, I've told you this, and I'm going to tell you it again. And forgive me because I've already said it a lot of times, but you know what? It's for your good that I keep saying it, so I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. But he didn't say rejoice in circumstances. He said rejoice in the Lord. You see, what he's talking about is an ability to rejoice in spite of the circumstances you're in. It's, you see, when you are complaining and you are grumbling, you're not living by faith. One of the primary indicators of someone who's living by faith is that that person is able to rejoice in the midst of hard and difficult tests and trials. His joy is not attached to his circumstances, because circumstances will change. His joy is not attached to the new car he just got, because that new car will get old. His joy is not attached to the nice home you have, because over time, that nice home will become for you just another home. It's not attached to the new husband or the new wife, because you will discover soon after you're married that people change, and that you can't you can depend upon someone else for your joy. Otherwise, you would be a very miserable person. So he's not saying rejoice in all the good things that are happening. No, he says rejoice in the Lord. Be thankful when you receive blessings, but let your joy come from your relationship with Jesus. Find your joy in your relationship with Christ. Find your joy in Jesus. Amen? Because Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change on you. He's constantly good, always good, all the time. And so find your joy in Christ Jesus, in your relationship with him, in the man Jesus Christ. Now, of course, you won't be able to do that if you don't know him. You won't be able to do that if you're not spending any time with him. You won't be able to find in him the joy that you need if you don't really get to know who he is, what he has done, what he is doing now, 
Are you hearing me? If you don't discover how much he loves you, it's going to be hard for you to find your joy in him. Your joy, quote unquote, will continue to be dependent upon what people say or don't say, what people do or don't do, what things look like in your life at a particular time. But if you can get to the place that Paul got to, amen, and that he's exhorting us to get to, where our joy is anchored in our relationship with Jesus and our knowledge of Jesus is what fuels the joy that's on the inside of us. Brothers and sisters, we will live by faith and we will get to the place where it doesn't matter what's happening, our joy will be constant. Now, joy and happiness are not the same. It's possible to be, to be sad. It's possible to be crying and still have joy. Amen? Because circumstances can change, and you can be crying over a circumstance. But if you know Jesus, and if he is the, the one that you are trusting in, you will discover that even when you're crying on the outside, there's a joy on the inside that is just supernatural, that keeps you. Now, joy is important, because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? So spiritually... Being able to rejoice, especially when things are difficult, is critical for a practical reason. It's your strength. Amen? Rejoicing in the midst of trouble strengthens you and empowers you to deal with it. Amen? The scriptures also say, I think it's Proverbs 17, that a merry heart doeth good like medicine. In other words, joy is medicine for your body. And for your souls, a lot of people today, uh, in a greater way, who I understand are committing suicide, they're, they're depressed, they're going on medication because emotionally uh, it's difficult for them, okay? And psychologically they're struggling. Well, guess what? If we learn how to rejoice in the Lord and not in circumstances and not in people, guess what? We will experience healing even in our souls, in our emotions, in our minds, we will experience peace there too. So the joy of the Lord on a practical basis is good for you. It's good for your health. Your physical health is good for your emotional, psychological health. That same verse says that a broken spirit dries up the bone. Again, that, that points to disease, okay? Because you know that the life is in the blood and the, bone, the blood is produced by the bone. So when the bones are dried up, it points to sickness and disease. So the lack of joy can lead to sickness and disease, make you less healthier, less able to resist disease, compromise your immune system, and make you more susceptible to things that you would ordinarily be able to, to, to overcome. So from a very practical basis, just a natural perspective, God has designed you and me so that joy actually benefits us emotionally, physically, psychologically. But then, of course, spiritually, joy is critical because joy is our strength. When we are operating joy, we are strong. When we're operating joy, we're strong. We're strong in the Lord when we're operating joy. We can resist the devil when we're operating joy. And he will flee from us. But when we're complaining, we're, we're, we're grumbling and we're murmuring, there's no faith in that. When you're complaining and murmuring, it means you're looking at your circumstances. You're not looking at Christ. Because you can't be looking at Jesus and be complaining and murmuring. No, when you look at him, uh, you're going to see that... <laughs> Heaven is where he is. 
His presence is heaven. Amen? So if I'm complaining and I'm murmuring and I'm grumbling, it means I'm not looking at him. I'm not living by faith. I'm actually living according to what I can see, feel, touch, and I'm living according to my circumstances. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So joy, joy, joy is critical. So Paul says again and again and again and then again to them and to us, rejoice. We need to make the decision then to rejoice. It's a decision you have to make. You and I have to make a decision. I'm going to live by faith. And that means I am making this decision that I am going to rejoice in the Lord. Which means I got to take my eyes off of my circumstances and learn to focus my eyes on Jesus. And I got to see in Jesus reasons to rejoice. Are you hearing me? Are there reasons to rejoice in Christ? Well, let me just give you one. He loves you with an everlasting love. And nothing you go through will ever separate you from his love. Oh, my goodness. Paul said that in Romans chapter 8. He says, tribulation, famine, nakedness, sword, not even death can separate you from his love. Wow. Wow. Just think about that. Nothing will separate you from him and his love for you. That alone is a reason to rejoice in the midst of your trouble. Hallelujah. So, after telling them to rejoice, Paul says to them, beware of, that's verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evildoers, Beware of the mutilation. Now, that's a warning. Now, when he, the dogs he's talking about is they're not as sweet and cute like my Sonny and my Rosie. So he's not saying beware of Sonny and Rosie. Sonny and Rosie, you need to love them. And they're so cute. Okay? But he's talking about the dogs in Bible days, those dogs he's talking about were scavengers. They were not in the house being taken care of as pets. These were dogs that roamed the streets, okay, barking and stealing and, and, and just taking whatever they could find. He says, he says, beware of dogs. Obviously, that is not a good name to call anybody, right? Those are words that may cause you to want to fight somebody. They call you a dog. But Paul says, beware of dogs, He's saying to the believers, you need to rejoice, but in order to rejoice in the Lord, you've got to put yourself uh, on guard against certain people and certain things that they teach. Why? Because if you don't preserve and protect and guard yourself from these people and their doctrine, you are not going to be able to rejoice. Because the thing that steals your joy, perhaps more than anything else, Christians, is religion. Religion is a joy stealer. Remember the parable of, of, the, of the good uh, of the uh, prodigal son. There were two boys. The older one was the religious one. And what was the characteristic of the elder brother? There was no joy, unwillingness to celebrate. Religion robs you of joy. And by religion, we're talking about trying to, by your performance and works, measure up to a certain standard of perfection in order to be declared righteous or to be blessed or favored by God. That intent 
promoted by religion of seeking to secure righteousness or to secure favor or blessings based upon how well you perform is religion. And people who live under the rules and regulations of religion do not know joy. So that's why I said you got to lose your religion if you're going to find your joy. You're going to have to lose your religion if you're going to live by faith. Religion and faith are not compatible. Paul put it differently in Romans chapter 10. He says it's either by works or it is by faith. It's by faith or it's by works. The two don't go together. Religion and faith are incompatible. Paul said the law is not of faith. Religion and faith are not compatible. So if you're going to live by faith, and walk in joy, you've got to do what? Lose your religion. And that's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, listen, beware of these people. They want to put you back under the law. They want to bring you back under religion. And if you permit that to happen, guess what? You're not going to be able to live by faith, and you're not going to experience joy. Beware of evil workers, the same group of people who he calls dogs. He's now referring to as evil workers. Why are they evil? Because anybody who teaches you to take your eyes off of Jesus for righteousness and to put your eyes upon yourself and your performance is under the influence of the evil one. Anybody who's saying or suggesting to you that your faith in Christ as your righteousness is not sufficient for your salvation, that somehow is faith in Christ plus your performance that would get you right before God or blessed by God, that person is under the influence of the evil one. Amen? He is being inspired by the devil. He is seeking to get you to believe something that would cause you to fall from grace, bring you back under the law. And whenever you're under the law, you're operating under the curse. Why? Because in order to be blessed by the law, you got to keep the law perfectly. So when you, when you believe or embrace that doctrine that says your faith in Christ as your righteousness is not sufficient, but you also have to add the law to it, your performance to it, you have brought yourself back under the law. And the minute you come under the law for righteousness, you come under a curse. Why? Because to be blessed by the law for righteousness, you've got to keep the law completely. And if you break one law, you break all. And what does the law do when you break it? It curses you. Hey, listen to me. So that is why Paul is saying these people are evil. These dogs, as Paul called them, these evil workers, we, we, we have talked about them a lot. They call the Judaizers. You still got those kind of folks today. They don't call, we don't call them Judaizers, but you still got a whole lot of folks preaching and teaching and a whole lot of churches promoting a doctrine that says it is not enough simply for you to place your faith in Christ as your righteousness. To be righteous before God, you've got to add your performance. You may not keep the law perfectly, but you've got to add to some degree, some aspect of the law for God to declare you righteous or bless you. That group of people then, and those people now who teach that, if Paul was here today standing on this pulpit, he would say, they're dogs. They're evil workers, and you need to beware of them. So I'm saying to you, church, beware of any teaching or doctrine that points you away from Christ and encourages you to put your trust or your confidence in yourself, in your ability 
to please God or to meet God's righteous standard. Can't happen. Won't happen. And the minute you do that, yeah, thank you. The minute you fall for that, you put yourself back under the law and you bring yourself under the curse. And to be honest with you, I believe that's why some of us who are in the church, even at Bethel, because not every one of you understand this or have embraced this. You haven't spent enough time to understand what I've been teaching. So even though you're here, you still place yourself under the law. And because of that, you're experiencing curses of the broken law that you don't really need to be walking in. But as long as you keep putting yourself under the law, you're opening yourself to the curse. So that's why when Paul sees this, he treats it as the most dangerous heresy, the most harmful thing that can be done to the body of Christ and the cause of Christ is for us to teach people that faith in Christ and Christ alone makes us righteous. For us to teach people that you also got to do A, B, and C. In this case, these people were teaching that the Gentiles, the Philippians were Gentiles, needed to convert to Judaism, come under Moses before they can become a Christian. That's why they were promoting circumcision. That's why Paul called it mutilation. He was talking about their insistence that the Gentiles, if they were going to be saved, if they were going to be righteous, could not be righteous unless they first come under the law of Moses. And so they had to be circumcised, which means they're not coming under the law of Moses. And then only if they came under the law of Moses as Jewish proselytes, then they could receive salvation. Paul heard that and he dealt with it. He dealt with it directly. He dealt with it strongly because he understood that this was so dangerous. It's like giving, like, like you think you're drinking milk, but I put a drop of cyanide in that milk. It, it looks white. You might not even taste the cyanide. But if it's in it and you drink it, it will not help you. It will kill you. So Paul sees this mixture of law with the gospel as poison that instead of giving life will cause death. Are you hearing me? So, so beware of that, Paul says. Now, let's go to the next verse. Then he says, for we are the circumcision. In other words, we are the true circumcision. The, the Judaizers who wanted people to get circumcised and come back under the law of Moses, who he's calling evil workers. He says, listen, they don't know what they're talking about. Because all the, you know, if you were to circum get circumcised, like they're saying, for righteousness, all you're doing is mutilating your body. Because circumcision itself has no spiritual value, doesn't make you righteous. Paul is saying, listen, the whole right of circumcision was to point to this fact. And what's the fact? That the flesh that you cut off has no power. That you, if you want to be right before God, you cannot become right through trusting in the flesh. That's why the flesh is cut off. You mean you got you to forget about the flesh. You can't put any confidence in the flesh. That's the message being conveyed through circumcision. But these people, not understanding the true meaning and not seeing the gospel in the right of circumcision was making circumcision itself the basis for righteousness. Are you learning something? Right. So, so Paul said, if you do that, that's, you're just hurting yourself. You're just mutilating people for nothing because there's nothing spiritually being gained by that. And that's the truth. All of your fasting, all of your praying, all of your giving, 
all of your serving, if you think that you are trying, that you are earning salvation or meriting righteousness by all of that, really is, you'd probably do more harm to yourself than good. Because at that point, your good works are keeping you away from Christ. And anytime your good works are keeping you away from Christ, they're evil. Did you hear me? Let me repeat. When your good works keep you from Christ or from trusting totally and completely upon Jesus, your good works have become evil. There are a lot of people you will find in hell who are in hell not because they try to, not because they try to live wrong, they try to live right. And they develop a false confidence in themselves rather than in Christ. All right? Amen. So Paul then, having said to the believers in Philippi and to us, you need to live by faith. You don't need to be listening to these people who want to put you under the law. You need to be able to rejoice, even if you're in prison like I am. Now he says, this is how I do it. Because I didn't tell you rejoice in circumstances. I said I rejoice in the Lord. So what Paul is about to say to them is, here is how I'm able to rejoice. This is how I'm able to rejoice in the Lord. This is why even while I'm in prison, instead of mum murmuring, complaining, and grumbling, I'm actually able to rejoice. Here are the things that I do. Here are the decisions I've made. And because of my understanding of the gospel and these three things, I am able to experience joy in spite of what's happening. And if you will do the same, guess what? You Philippians, you harvesters will begin to walk in joy. You will experience the strength that joy gives you, no matter what the circumstances are of your life. So let's look at these three things that are the source of our joy in Christ Jesus. What are they? He says, this is what you need to do. Worship God in the spirit. In contrast to those religious people who were focusing on outward rights. Don't you know, get circumcised. Don't do this. All of these outward things. In contrast, he says, my joy comes from the fact that I worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and, I, and, 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 and not in Moses, not in circumstances, in Christ Jesus. And I have no, or I place no confidence in my flesh. Those are the three things. And we're going to look at them briefly, but we're going to start with the last because I believe the last is, 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 is where it begins because until you stop putting confidence in your flesh, you're not going to be able to rejoice in Christ Jesus and you're not going to worship in the Spirit. So you got to begin with the decision not to put confidence in your flesh, which means you and I decide, Paul decided, you know what? I am not going to put any confidence or trust in my own ability to please God, to be righteous, or to earn any blessings from God. I am not going to put my confidence in my ability, in myself, to do anything that will earn, merit, deserve God's righteousness or God's favor. I'm not going to do it. In another place, Paul said by the Spirit, the flesh profits nothing. 
Hallelujah. So Paul made a decision. He was not going to put any confidence in the flesh. And you hear me? Until you make that decision that you are not going to put confidence in, your, in yourself, you're not going to truly be able to boast in the Lord. And you're not going to really be able to worship freely in the spirit. Because the idea that somehow you need to be performing better than you are performing will stand in the way. Are you hearing me? So your attitude should be, you know what? I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to live by faith. And that begins with me saying, you know what? I am not going to put any trust in my ability, my own ability to be righteous or to meet any standard by my performance that deserves or merits God's favor or blessing in my life. That's not going to happen. It's impossible. Charles? That's Charles behind the mask, right? Now, if I were to offer Charles $100,000, I'm sure you would would, would accept it, right? Hopefully you would. I would. And most of us would, right? I mean, it's good money. I'm not stealing it. I just, okay. But I'm I'm offering you $100,000, but then I put a condition to it, and I say, it's yours if you're able to jump and touch the moon. Okay, I saw Veronica just do this. Which means, Charles would say, well, then just forget that. I'm not even going to spend one second trying to touch the moon because I already know I have no confidence in my ability to do that. So I'm not going to spend one hour or one week or one month or the rest of my life trying to do something that I know my flesh can never do. So as much as I want the $100,000, I already know that $100,000 is not for me because I'm not going to be able to touch the moon. No confidence in his ability, therefore he's not even going to try. Well, you know what? That's about as much confidence you need to have in your ability to meet God's righteous standards by your performance. Your attitude should be the same as Charles's when I tell him jump and touch the moon, when someone says, okay, you got to perform, you got to keep the commandments, you got to do this and do this to be righteous, your attitude should be, well, I'm not even going to try. Because the standard is so high. This is what Jesus said. Be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. My goodness. How many days do you have to fast to reach that standard? How many hours do you have to pray to reach that standard? How much money do you have to give to reach that standard? You know it's impossible, and that's what Jesus wanted it to be. He wanted you to realize it is impossible. Don't try to touch the moon to earn $100,000 because you will never do it. Go spend your life doing something more profitable because that's a total waste of time and energy. Even so, don't spend your time trying to earn, merit, deserve righteousness or blessings based upon your performance. It's a total waste of time because for you to earn blessings based upon your performance or be righteous based upon your performance, you've got to hit it 100%. Because you break one law and you've broken all. And the only person who's ever done that is Jesus Christ. The rest of us fall short of his glory. Now, there's great freedom in that. When you get to a place, I don't have to continue to try. 
God isn't asking me to do something that is impossible. How then the disciples says, then who will be saved? God said, with men it's impossible. With God it's possible. This salvation thing, this righteousness thing is impossible for men, but thank God there's Jesus. Amen? What man cannot do, God has done in Christ. Hallelujah! That's the gospel. So now Charles has no way of earning, deserving, meriting the $100,000. But Charles could say, man, but I really, really, really need that money. Then he said, Bishop, I cannot earn it. There's no way I can do it. I would, I would try if I thought I could, but I know I can't, so I'm not even going to try. But I do need that $100,000. And then I could say, you know, Charles, even though you cannot earn it, merit it, I love you. I see you need it. I know you can do it. I'm glad you realize you can. Here's the $100,000. It's free. Receive it. Be blessed. You know, that's a picture of what Jesus did with a woman uh, who was caught in adultery. None condemn you. All right. You go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. And so that, my brother and sister, is what the gospel is all about. And that is how you receive the gift of righteousness. It's given to you as a gift. Christ has become your righteousness. And if you have the faith to receive him as your righteousness, and know that he is sufficient, that faith in Christ as your righteousness becomes the key that brings you into the kingdom. And guess what? It is the key that opens every other blessing to you. You know, really, you don't have to believe God specifically for each gift. I gotta believe God for healing. I gotta believe God for provision. I gotta be, you know what? Just believe that Christ is your righteousness. And believe that he, by his faith and obedience, has already qualified you and met every condition. That's, he said in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added. So if I can use my faith, and it takes faith to believe, because when you see all the things that are not what they need to be, your own shortcomings, etc., it takes faith to get up every morning and, 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 and believe. Are, are you hearing me? But if you will believe that, put no confidence in your flesh, then guess what? It now frees you to do the second thing that Paul says you should do, and what is that? Rejoice. Rejoice in who? Christ Jesus. Now, if you read the different translations, that word rejoice means to boast in. Take pride in Christ Jesus. Now that you are no longer willing to boast in your performance because you know your own performance is as filter rags, you're not living by faith if you just stop there. there you need to take the next step. Go beyond not boasting in your performance, go beyond not putting confidence in your performance, and then take the next step. Go ahead and start to rejoice or boast of, take pride in Christ Jesus. Boast of, take pride in everything Jesus by his death has accomplished for you, boast in, boast of, Take pride in everything Jesus by his life in you is accomplishing now. No longer do I boast, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hear me. If you are going to rejoice, if you're going to live by faith, this is something Paul is saying you do. This is how you stir up joy. This is how you're going to activate your joy, which is your strength. Put no confidence in your flesh, but then make the decision, man, I am going to begin to boast 
in Christ Jesus. I'm going to boast in what he accomplished for me on the cross. I am going to take pride in the gift of righteousness. My goodness, look at me. I'm clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Hallelujah. Look at me. I'm as righteous in Christ as Christ is righteous before God. I boast Jesus by your death, burial, and resurrection. You bet every condition. Hallelujah. I boast in you, Jesus, because you became sin for me so that I can become the righteousness of God in Christ. I boast in you, Jesus, because of your death, burial, and resurrection. You qualified me so that now the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world because of you, Jesus. I boast in you, Jesus, because you came to where I was and you brought me to where you are and now I'm in you and you are in me and we're one. Hallelujah. I boast in you, Jesus, because you are greater than anything I'm facing. I boast in Christ. One of the reasons we are not experiencing joy is we're not boasting enough in him. We're not boasting. I mean, you know, many of us have gotten to a place where we say, okay, I know I'm weak and I'm fine. But don't stop there. Boast even more in him, who he is, what he accomplished for you on the cross, who he is in you now, what he's doing through you now, what he will do for you tomorrow, what he will do through you tomorrow. Go ahead and every day let your boast be of the Lord. In fact, much of your praying ought to be nothing more than boasting. Yeah, go to God and boast about Jesus. Say, Father, I just come to boast about your son today, and I want to boast that he, by his death, has made me alive. I want to boast, Father, that the day you gave me Jesus, I found that I was complete in him. I boast that he is my sufficiency. In him, every need is met, Father. I boast in Jesus, Father, that nothing that I needed was unmet. You, you, you thought of everything that I needed, and Father, I found in Jesus everything I need. I boast in him. The more you boast in him, the more you will live by faith. The less you boast in him, the more you will struggle with faith. The more you boast in him, the stronger you will be. The more you boast in him, the greater will be your ability to rejoice no matter what's happening. So when you find yourself in life dealing with the various challenges that we all deal with, look at that, and instead of allowing the, your circumstances to be the thing that you focus on, look away from them and look at Jesus and say, you know what, lack, I'm boasting in Jesus' ability to meet my need. Sickness, I'm boasting in Jesus' ability to heal me. Oh, hallelujah, I'm boasting in you, Lord. You are sufficient. Let him who boasts do what? Boast in the Lord. That's what Paul was saying. So at midnight, Paul and Silas were in prison in the book of Acts. And at midnight, instead of murmuring, at midnight, instead of grumbling, at midnight, instead of feeling sorry for themselves, Paul and Silas decided, you know what? Right now, these circumstances that we're under are tough. They're hard on the flesh. So we got to make up. Our, up our mind, we're going to do some boasting. So come and let's boast about Jesus. And the Bible says they were singing praises unto God. What were they doing? They were boasting of Christ. 
And while they were boasting of Christ at midnight, the Bible says, God in heaven, somebody said, God got so happy, God started to join them and, 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 and stomp his feet. He was just rejoicing with them. And, uh, and the prison doors, the earth began to shake because God, was, God entered into their joy. And the prison doors opened. And mind you, the prison doors opened and they didn't leave the state. That tells you they were not rejoicing just so the prison doors can open. You see, whether the prison doors open or not, they were going to rejoice. They were not saying, come, let's praise, come, let's boast, so God can open the prison doors and we can, they didn't care. You know, they were going to boast in prison. Whether the prison doors open or not, God was worthy. Man, Jesus is worthy of your praise. Jesus is worthy of glory. Jesus is worthy of honor. You can boast in the Lord. It doesn't matter what is happening, whether your circumstances change or not. God wants you to learn how to boast in the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. How did Paul manage to be joyful and strong in the midst of his terrible circumstances? He had already come to a place where he was no longer trusting or looking at himself. He had already acknowledged he couldn't do anything and God wasn't expecting him. So that burden was off of him. And now he could rejoice. You see, because unless you roll off that burden that you were trying to carry yourself and you're thinking that Jesus and God wants you to meet this standard, Every time you come before Jesus, you will be thinking about your shortcoming. And the more you think about your shortcoming, the less you can rejoice in his performance. You will find yourself dealing with guilt and condemnation because you're so conscious of, oh, I didn't meet this standard. You're not going to be rejoiced to the degree that God wants you to rejoice. So you're going to do what? Put no more confidence in your flesh. Just recognize you're not going to try to jump, touch the moon because you can't. God doesn't expect you to. Amen. That righteousness is a gift that God gives you. Christ was your substitute. He met every condition for you. And then start to boast in that. Don't allow yourself to come under condemnation. Boast in what the Lord has done for you. And that way you will be strengthened to do what, what God would have you to do in that situation. And then lastly, Paul said, the third thing he did was to worship God in the spirit. Amen. Where did the joy come from? He said, listen, I didn't put any confidence in my flesh, and instead of doing that, and since I was not doing that, I put all my confidence in Jesus and boasted in him. And the third thing I did was, I relied on the spirit completely for worship and for service. Hallelujah. I relied on the spirit completely. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a parable. There's a parable that Jesus taught. The disciples came to Jesus one day and said, Lord, increase our faith. In Luke chapter 17, increase our faith. And then Jesus said, you know what? And, and, and the story that Jesus, Jesus told, the lesson he taught, I, you know, I, 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 how does that increase our faith? But he said, you know what? He said, which of you being a servant, when a servant goes out and he does all that he's supposed to do, when he comes back from the field, does he sit down and eat or does he go now and take care of his master's food first? 
the disciple says, oh, no, he will take care of the master's food. And then Jesus used that story to make an application. This is what Jesus said. He said, likewise, after you've done everything that I told you to do, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What is Jesus teaching? Exactly what I just told you. He's saying, never think that what you have done or you are done deserves some kind of special recognition or reward because you did what you were told to do that now you deserve some special blessing. He said, don't do that. In other words, don't trust in your performance. That's the way to increase your faith. Amen. And so if you're not trusting in your performance, you do what you're supposed to do, but you're not trusting in that. You obey God for the right reasons, but you're not, you're not trusting in that. What are you going to do? You're going to boast in Jesus, and then you're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. When he says worship in the Spirit. That word worship is the same word for serving. So we could say, what did Paul do? He worshiped and he served by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, not by relying upon myself, but by relying on the Holy Spirit. Relying on him who now lives in me to work in me both the will and do the things that please God. I no longer look to myself for strength. I look to the Holy Spirit on the inside of me to do the work in and through me. I look to him for strength. I look to him for wisdom. I look to him for guidance. I look to him for empowerment. I look to him for enablement. The way I worship, the way I serve is not by depending upon myself, but by relying on the Spirit and what he's doing in my life. And so every day now, I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit in which I am totally dependent upon him, putting no confidence in myself, but putting my confidence and relying on the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Hear me. Because you have received the gift of righteousness, thank God, one of the things you can rejoice in is that you have been qualified now for the Holy Spirit to inhabit your spirit. Every one of you need to know this, and this is something that you need to be rejoicing in, giving thanks for and acknowledging. Because of the gift of righteousness, the Spirit of God now inhabits your spirit. And he has come into your spirit, inhabits your spirit, to fulfill his ministry in the new covenant to you. His ministry in you and his ministry through you. It's not your ministry, it's his. You and I don't own any ministry. He is the one who is the minister. We are the vessels, if we avail ourselves, that he will minister to. We are the vessels, if we avail ourselves, that he will cause true worship to flow through. We are the ministers, if we avail ourselves, that he will cause power to work through. We are vessels that avail ourselves to his ministry in us. Well, I don't have to minister. I just have to make myself available to him to minister through me. That's rest. I don't, have to, I don't have to make something happen. I just need to learn how to rely on the one who makes things happen. And thank God that because of Jesus, he's making things happen through me for the glory of God. Right now, I believe he's making some things happen through me for the glory of God in your life. But I would be wrong to say this is my ministry. And, and you, if you only knew all that I had to do in order to do this, all the sacrifice I had to make. 
No, no, no. He made all the sacrifice. What I do, I have to present myself to him. I have to believe because the Bible says he works by faith. But I got to believe that, he, listen, the spirit lives in you and he's in you to fulfill ministry. In you, to you, and through you. He's in you to do life. In you and through you. For the glory of God. Say hallelujah. And so my part is to rely upon. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. This is his ministry. He inhabits your spirit. And then through your spirit, he does what? He instructs your mind. And he calls you to know the will of God. Hallelujah. He also inspires your heart and ignites your heart with the affections of God, with the love of God. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So this spirit now is instructing my mind as I, as I, as I rely on him, causing me to know the mind of God, know the will of God. He is, he is at work in my heart, inspiring my heart and igniting God's love in my heart, causing me to love God and love people and the things that God loves. This same spirit now is also uh, influencing my will so that I'm deciding to do the things that will please God. And the same spirit is instrumentalizing. That's a word I've been using lately because it helps me. He's instrumentalizing my body to make it the channel, the vehicle, the vessel by whom and through whom God's will is being done on the earth. It's the spirit. That's why the Bible says it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit. The spirit is the one working. I'm simply making myself available by faith to him. And when I do these three things, when I say, say no to religion, and then I decide, you know what, I'm putting no confidence in my flesh because I can't touch the moon no matter how hard I try. Two, I am going to put all of my confidence in Christ and I'm going to express that confidence by boasting in him and taking pride in his work and who, I, who has made me in him. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that loudly. You know, in the book of Revelation, this is what it says. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of their testimony. In other words, they overcame him by boasting. That's the testimony. By boasting about what he has accomplished by his blood. <laughs> oh, you need to learn how to boast a little bit more. I need to boast some more. Amen? So I'm going to boast in the Lord. And lastly, every day, I'm going to be conscious of the fact that there's a holy God living on the inside of me. Amen? And he is working in me. So I present myself. And that means I got to talk to him. The communion of the Holy Spirit, I talk to him. Uh, I, I, I invite him to work through me in, in, in circumstances. I make myself available to him as a channel. I talk to him. I ask questions. I inquire of him. Amen? But at the end of the day, I'm always presenting myself to him in faith that he is the one who is at work in me, both the will and do God's pleasure. So in the midst of that, when that is my attitude in every situation, guess what? I can rejoice. I can live by faith. May it be true of you and of you, and of you, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, what are the three things you're going to do? You're going to do what? Put no confidence in your, in your own ability to perform. Two, you're going to do what? You're going to boast in the Lord. Put all your confidence in Jesus, and you're going to make it your business to 
boast in him. And the third day, you're going to do what? You're worshiping the Spirit. You're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. Amen? You're going to pray in tongues. You're going to worship as the Spirit leads you in your known language. But beyond just praying in the Spirit, which is important, by the way, you're going to learn how to rely on and just depend upon the Holy Spirit. In every situation, you're going to act and talk as though he's there with you, working through you. You're going to, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing how he shows up when we start literally consciously inviting him to work and believing that he is. It's amazing. He'll give you wisdom for your decisions. He'll give you insight. He'll give you strength. He'll manifest power. He'll manifest gifts. And then God gets all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Listen, I don't know, but if you're here today and you have not yet received the gift of righteousness, if you have not yet received Jesus as your righteousness, you, you believe in God and you're trying to serve God, but you have not yet truly asked Jesus into your life and place your faith in him as your righteousness for your salvation. Now is accepted time. He brought you here in order to make this gift available to you. But one thing he doesn't do, he respects our wills. So he will not force you to receive the gift. But the gift is here. You don't have to leave here being uncertain about your salvation, being uncertain about your relationship with God. If you will repent of your sins and, and, and accept this gift of Christ as God's gift of righteousness to you, your sins will be forgiven, all of them. Christ will come in to live in you by the Spirit. He'll join you to himself. And the rest of your days on earth and in eternity, you will live your life in union with Christ. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit will begin a work of conforming you to his image the minute you receive Christ as your Savior. Is there anyone here? All heads bow, please. I want to make it as easy as possible. If you're here today and you say, Bishop, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive this gift of righteousness through Christ. Would you please pray with me? Would you just raise your hand? And by raising your hand, I'll know that you want to be saved. Anyone here today? Okay. Everyone here who has received the gift of righteousness, raise your hands to heaven. And, okay, everyone who has received the gift of righteousness, please raise your hand to heaven. And now will you say, thank you, Jesus. You are my righteousness. In Jesus' name.